My name's Shaquan, but a lot of people know me by my other name, Mad Skills. I'm an MC. My name is Mad Skills. Let's make some noise. I'm a DJ. Oh, yeah. I'm a ghostwriter for some of your favorite rappers. I'm not about to tell you who, though. But most importantly, I'm a hip-hop enthusiast. Hip-hop confessions is raw, unfiltered conversations with my friends revealing things that they didn't like, never knew about, I don't know, or never got into about hip-hop culture. So sit back. Oh, come on, y'all. Turn up the volume. Hip-hop. And listen to hip-hop confessions. Because everybody's got one. Here's a little story that must be told. And it goes a little something like this. this, this. What up, y'all? It's your boy, Mad Skills, and we are back with another brand new episode of my podcast, Hip Hop Confessions. Y'all know what it is, because everybody got one. Right about now, man, I'm excited. I've been trying to get this guy on for a while. One of my favorite producers. I followed him for years. Um, this, guy makes, this guy makes all of your favorite rappers sound better. Um, musical student, you know, just a prodigy, man. One of my favorite producers in the world. Y'all give it up for my bro in the building, Salam Remy. What's poppin'? Yo, yo, yo. Thanks for having me, bro. Yeah. Oh, man, you so laid back. How, how's it feel to be that cool, bro? Like, like um, I, you I, so I cool. I don't know. I think, I think you know, it's probably part of my uh, my Taurus demeanor. You know what I'm saying? I got this <laughs> laid back bull. Like, where are you going to do that? I right. have to sit here and watch you zone. But I don't know. You know, I can't call it that. I just have to say it's a blessing because being cool, I get to see more than when I'm making a lot of noise. Right. Yes. Yes. This is true. Yeah, man. Well, listen, man. I'm uh, like I said, I'm I'm a big fan, and I've always been a, a fan of your production work from from Nas to Amy. You know, what I'm saying back to the Fugees. Um, you know, you've been around for a minute, bro. Like, how did you get started into into producing? Um. Well, producer was the evolution. I mean, my Basically, my parents met because my father was in the band with my uncle, my mother's brother. So I came up, you know, with music on both sides in that space. And then, you know, my grandfather's a pastor. My two uncles were musicians, organists and sax, et cetera. My aunts were the singers at the church. My grandmother played piano at the church. And wow. then on the other side, my pops um, and a couple of his brothers were also professional musicians. And then they also, you know, my father's probably the one I took it the furthest. So both sides of that was like my come up. So I was like born as the baby metronome. I could play drums while they were playing all the other instruments. By the time I was two, three years old, and then it just kind of kept going from there. And then as far as producing, you know, I'm a child of hip hop. So, you know, at a certain age, early 80s, it gets to a point where I want, you know, to hear the beat like the streets. So then, you know, after I stopped picking out Yellow Man and Sugar Hill records out of the store, like I like those then the drum machine gets to my hands. Mm. And that's like 83 or so. I started getting my first keyboard that I could program. And then by 85, I had a 707. And my father at that time had become a you know musician, arranger, producer, music executive, promotion man, et cetera. Yeah. So I was doing different stuff. And even though I didn't live with him until I got out of high school, I still was influenced by the particular um, possibility that this could be a career while I was still doing electronics and business management in school. Wow. That's crazy, man. You you were surrounded by it at a young age. Like you you ain't had no choice. Um I I mean the thing is I did. You know, I'm still, you know, a business management major. I'm one of those people who is as heavy in numbers in my business and 
I tell my lawyers, I cut the deals and then I tell my lawyer what might be cool rather than the <laughs> other way around. Like, but I came right. up in that type of energy. But also, um, you know, it's a thing where even as a producer, you know, in that neighborhood band, Larry Smith was on bass. And then I grew up wow. in Queens where everything was there. So when I look to the right, it's like, oh, you know, I'm on Springfield and the only McDonald's for all of Hollis. I'm two blocks away from Jackson, you know what I'm saying, where LL right. took the big and Defa cover. Like all these different things, it's my neighborhood directly around me. You know, 147, I didn't know, the school of the block is where the Disco Twins used to play. So it's right. like my neighborhood actually was influenced and being a child of our generation, you know, the 70s into the 80s, it became so much of a hip hop generation, which redefined all genres of music. Wow. <clears throat> Like I, I always say that that Queens, out of, when it comes to the early days in New York, that Queens is the the best. Queens, the borough of Queens, birth more more good rappers, like a, a, amazing rappers than any other borough. You know what I'm saying? I, I if you if you line up who came from what borough and who was wow. great or next wow. to greatness. Mm -hmm. it, it's Queens, hands down, at, coming from an outsider. You know what I mean? Right. You got, you know, Run DMC, uh, you know uh, what I'm saying? LL, Onyx, Tribe Called Quest, Large Professor, Nas, Mob Deep. Like, it just, it just, it's, it's like it just keeps going. Right. I mean, I think also the great thing about Queens, you know, is similar to a lot of things. There was a lot of opportunity. You know what I'm saying? Mm. There was a lot of people who had, um, you know, on my side of Queens, it was like still, it was still, you know, it was the hood, but there was a house and two parents, one worked for the subway, one's a nurse. And, you know, they had that little patch of grass in the front and a little enough room for a grill and a dog in the back. And at right. the end of the day, the neighborhood of Hollis still birthed enough opportunity, but at the same time, it was still connected just like every other chocolate city. To, right. to what was going on. So, you know, the enterprising minds of a Russell Simmons was able to have a slight amount of possibility and maybe a parent that would give him a little nudge, just like a Barry right. Gordy had a nudge, just like right. everything else. So it, it created an opportunity. And then when you see your neighborhood being able to turn up and now turn this into the professional and being the top of it, then now everybody else cooks up. So the fact that, you know, even though the Disco Twins and different people might've been DJing and things happen, the fact that Russell Simmons saw his little brother's possibility and saw the Hollis crew mm -hmm. and everything else happen, then, you know, up around the corner and somebody else goes at them. You're going, yo, I just saw such and such at McDonald's yesterday. You know, I remember standing on close. the block. Yeah, I remember standing on the block and seeing DMX or DMC, you know, in the Blue Novo. I saw a run drive by in his Riviera or whatever else it was. You know, everything else is just about all of us um, seeing the possibility. And then now we hone our skills. Why can you do it? I mean, similar to, you know, Teddy being in Virginia and then Virginia right. going, wait a minute, is something real? Michael Jackson's off the block? Okay, right. hold on. Then, you know, I asked Teddy, why'd you go to Virginia? He's like, oh, because Alpo had a bus ride one time. If he would have went to Miami, I might have moved to Miami. But when I was in right. this pickle, I went to Virginia and then that became something. So all of us had these opportunities and these pieces and these stories to interweave. But it's just great when, you know, one seed of positivity can uplift the whole neighborhood. Yeah, man. Um, it, it definitely has a lineage of, you know what I'm saying, uh, uh, the the way that 
you know, the opportunities fell for some of us. Some of these people just happened to be visionaries and people who were looking at the next thing. Um, I remember, um, you know, after I got, after I got like linked up with Q-Tip, after I met Q-Tip, right. the first time I went to New York, I, I never forget, I had already had a Source magazine right before Tribe dropped Midnight Marauders. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a picture of Fife, Ali, and and Tip on the cover. I still got the magazine. And I remember reading the magazine at my job, and they was talking. As soon as they start opening the article, they start talking about, you know, Q-Tip lives on the street in Queens, da-da-da-da-da. You know, you go up his, his steps into his room, and his mom's room is right next to this room, and da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, you walk in, and you see old records, and this, that, and the third. So that's how the article started. And I never forget going to his crib months later and I'm sitting in his crib and I'm thinking about the source article and it, it right. it's, it's explained everything That's perfectly it. as I was seeing it. And I'm like, yo, I'm really sitting in Q-Tip's room in Queens. Like, this is crazy. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, so it, it was, it was to be able to be that close to hip hop legends in the early nineties was you know was surreal for me you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying definitely surreal definitely. um so so let's get into um a couple like being a this this my podcast like it's it's a couple of i'm curious because like got. i said i see you from one side and then you see me from another side so i'm right. curious to what you seen that i'm gonna tell you what i saw right so um you did a record called toss it up for a group named ziggy that i i did not know that you did Right. And I loved that song and right. that video. Like um, in, in the early '90s, that was one of my favorite joints. We used to play it on college radio all the time. Like, can you give me mm-hmm. the backstory on that? Like, because it looked like you did all of these. They shit. Yeah, that was the first group I did demos on that got signed. So I did the whole album. Mm. Um, so basically, you know, at that time, '89, I moved to the city. I'm living with my pops. I'm doing demos on different pieces and. You know, I'm helping out Bobby Condes with some remixes. I'm working. You know, Molly Mall let me produce a few tracks, co-produce a few tracks on Craig G's second album. Now that's wow. when I like it because Molly was a friend of my pops. You know, my pops was connected with everybody. So he was a musician, then a promotion man, then he managed Chuck Chillout in 89. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then Chuck Chillout and Cool Chip and MC Rel was signed to his label. So it's like all that different stuff I'm seeing, like it's in the crib. And then Classic Concepts, he has sublet part of our studio spaces to them. So they were in the building and I'm looking at all hip hop happening all day. Like I looked out my hallway and Big Daddy Kane standing there talking to Big Ange about his wow. wardrobe for a video or whatever wow. it is. They were lit classic concepts in the whole video music box scene were literally in house. So when I'm now doing that, my father runs into legendary drummer Dennis Davis who played with, you know, um, Stevie Wonder, you know, do I do all that. Dennis mm-hmm. give it by himself, man. And right. you know, played with Warriors for years at Manny's Music. And then it's like, yeah, my uh, girlfriend's boyfriend, you know, he can rap. And maybe, you know, anything. she's like, ah, you know what, bring him by. I'll, I'll introduce him to my son. Cool. So then Sound from Jiggy comes by. We do the song on the album called Born Black. And I'm like, oh, he's like, yo, this is cool. You know, and I'm doing my thing. And he was dancing for YZ at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. I gave him a Samande loop. He's like, but I got my crew. We're all dancers. And, you know, we need to, you know, we, I, you need to meet them. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, cool, bring them. Like, uh, right, I didn't. Right. I didn't know what was up. gonna happen, right. but you know, still, I'm saying dances, rapping. All right, here we go. 
Cool. <laughs> let's let's, let's see right. where this goes. So right. they come through, and I give them the beat of all the obvious breaks. Substitution, Amen Brother, James mm-hmm. Brown Loops, Stewart's, you know, Isaac Hayes. Like, right. just the basics of basics. Oh, here, y'all want a beat? Here we go. And it was just me playing around with the most elementary beat that I could find, but it had some energy. They heard it, and they made Toss It Up. Wow. We did a couple more songs. A pops played it for some people that some labels. We got a deal. So now I'm in LaGuardia Community College with my business management accounting degree. Almost finished. But now I got a whole album to do. About to I get, right. I got that buck one, no, what is that? Buck 25 uh, budget, you know what I'm saying? 125,000. Wow. So now I got to finish an album in six months. Pops, I need to take six months off of school because I got to finish this album. And, uh, you know, if I don't have no work when I finish the album, then I go back to school. Right. Well, that never happened. I have worked forever since then. And that was 91. Wow. It came out in 92. We pushed all the way through and, you know, Toss It Up became definitely a local Northeast, you know, up to Virginia. Mm-hmm. They definitely did the yeah. Vans down to Virginia yep. level record. And then Raking in the Dough was also pretty big as another single. We remixed Uptown Bounce. We started on the third album. Well, started on the second album. The label was like, ah, we don't know if we want to rock with y'all. And it didn't happen anymore. But the reality was that was my first full album, my first group that I took from seed to plant and you know those records still last with those who were there you know what i'm saying i'll make those type of songs if you was there you know what that was right that's so crazy to me man like when i, I the first time i remember hearing that record of course they was dancing and i was i was into that like you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like i could dance i used to dance in the high school talent shows but i also could rap mm-hmm. i just hadn't taken rap as serious right yet. but um cuz nobody was telling me i was dope yet so right. for me when I saw that, you know, the horns and the sample and like, and they just looked like they was having fun. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I still, you know, I still got that video to this day. I still pull that shit up every now and then on YouTube. Yep. I got a homeboy in Philly. Like, that's his favorite song of all exactly. time. Shout my yeah. man D Nell from Philly, man. Like, that, he loves yeah. that song. Like, yeah, that was so, really big in Philly. Toss it up and then Bobby Conda's uh, Mac Daddy. The two yep. records that were really like big in Philly from where it was happening then. And that was yeah. just me being in the clubs, you know. Um, when my dad managed Chuck Chill Out, Funkmaster Flex was his driver to say. And then right. I was running around with it. So me and Flex are basically the two legs of what Chuck would have been if he stayed focused. Mm-hmm. And then we just kept expanding from there, you know, from 89 forward. That's crazy, man. That's wild. So, all right, so let's get into another record, uh, which was... Nappy Heads remix, the right. Fugees. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, mm-hmm. because from you know, from from what I was understanding, you know, just just industry folklore that you know they had did a project, and it was pretty much it wasn't it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, they was like, yeah, you know, y'all album is cool, but you know, y'all need some remixes or some shit. So your your remixes were what brought that that whole thing back, it was almost like it resuscitated them all over again. Because I remember, I think I remember, uh, I think I, I I think it was Booth Bath, was Booth Bath the first single? Yeah, that was the first song they put out. Yeah, and, and I was just like, eh, you know, because like I said, I'm at college radio every weekend, so we getting these mm-hmm. records in VA and we playing them, but you know, if you wasn't messing with Tribe and Daylight at that time, like, 
you wasn't getting no play. So we kind of threw the Fuji's record to the left. And then the next one they came with, every, I remember everybody in the studio was like, this ain't the same group, bro. Like, and I was like, it is. I saw the video already. This, this them. Mm-hmm. And that record was huge, man. Like, how, how did that come about? Right. So, I mean, to their defense, slightly, it will be that, um, you know, their first album, Blunted on Reality, you know, the old school way, you know, when you're working on your album, it might take a year or two to get out. But the hip hop cycle, you know, it's always like a three year cycle. So Tribe hadn't taken over maybe in 91 where they were recording their album mm-hmm. to 92. It was right. still Onyx World. You know what I'm saying? We were still getting a lot more grimy vocals. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Now everybody wanted to rhyme grimy. I know. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. you got a lot more of that. And, you know, it was more about the crowd. It was still leaders with those big, loud hooks. It was still that type of energy. It was the scenario energy. It was up. And... That's what they took their talent and said, we got to make a hip hop record and do that. So I'd done um, Soundboy Killing remix by Mega Banton because I was mm. working with all the reggae artists and doing stuff. And Jeff Burroughs was their product manager at Columbia Records. And I was on the air, you know, all the years, like when Fun Master Flex was at Hot 97, um, pretty much I was almost like his producer of the show unofficially, but he called me to oversee a salon. I would be there. So right. he's like, yo, Flex played this record, this Mega Banton, who did it? And then he's like, oh, he said Salam did it. Here's his number. Cool. Jeff Rose calls me, go up to Columbia. I'm already, you know, doing Patra and Shaba and, you know, work with a whole lot of super cat, everybody in the building. Right. I'm like, yo, who manages him? He's like, uh, David Sonnenberg and Bernard Alexander. At that time, David Sonnenberg, who was a huge manager of Springsteen and Meatloaf, et cetera. And he actually had sent me Aini Kamozi in the first mm. place. So I had a relationship with him from that. But they also were managing Biz, Jungle Brothers, Nas, Akinelli, and the Fugees. I used so, to love Ak. Ak exactly. was dope. I used to fuck with Ak. Exactly. Me and Ak go back. You no, know, we went to grade school in 83 together. 83 to 85. You know what I'm saying? So um, when I went there and I was like, okay, they managed by them. Cool. And then, you know, it was at Columbia... All right, cool. So Jeff really hired me to do the remix. And he was like, hey, they have, um, and you know, Bernard Alexander was called, comes from EPMD's crew. So Bernard actually was like, well, Eric Sermon will do it for 12 grand. I was like, all right, no, I might do it for two. He might, maybe it was like a 15 to 12, whatever it was. It was, some, <laughs> it was a couple grand and it was right. the last check before Thanksgiving. You know, in record companies, it's hard to get a two-signer check after Thanksgiving. Yes. You might be done until after the Grammys, damn man. Yeah. <laughs> to get two people to put their name on a check and right. then they playing games with you. So I was like, all right, cool. I could use this little Christmas money. I'll take care of it. Oh, the management is them. I know them. Cool. They pushed for it. It started happening. So then now I'm creating a track. I create basically what's the bells and the drums of the track. And mm-hmm. I get Wyclef to come by. And, you know, he has the nappy head at the time before. He cut his hair off in the video for that song. But he had his right, hair. Right, I remember the, that. And he got his bubble goose on, a pair of Adidas sweats. And he's like, yo, um, so what you thinking? So I blend It Ain't Hard to Tell acapella and J. Roo's Come Clean acapella on top of the basic track. Ooh. So when I'm doing that, and I'm from Queens, so once the thing, another thing with Queens is that we're blend tape masters. We listen, it's all about the blend. It's the vocal, it's right. like Grandmaster Vic, it's all that Grandmaster stuff Grandmaster Vic, yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, the DJ Dirty Harry was from my block, so that was my outlet for whatever blend ideas I had. 
Harry was whose crib I'd be at, go to Harry's house, get a tape, a haircut. We do so. But anyhow, I put that on there. Clef goes, oh, okay, go in that zone. Got it. So then that, you know, it ain't hard to tell. I excel. You want the front, huh? In terms of you won the battle swing, I bring the King. And that was the start of him doing it. He's like, yo, you got to meet the girl in the group. I'm going to bring her and Proz by. I bring them by. Proz is like, yo, you know my man Kobe? My man Kobe Brown. He's like, yo, Kobe and me went to school. He always used to talk about you. When Kobe was an intern, he used to be in my sessions a lot and Tommy Boy and all this other stuff. Cool. So we got a cool situation. I get them in the studio. Clef rhymes for the, the reel ran off the first time and then we did it again. About 13 mm-hmm. minutes. I still have it. Wow. When he rhymed for 13 minutes, I listened to it. And this is before the Pro Tools game was in. So I'm like, all right, cool. This part right here, this part right here, or oh, that part right there could be the chorus. Okay, keep these four bars here. And then we just moved around. And, you know, his line was like something like, Chiba Chiba, y'all. I'm a Libra, y'all. If rap was extinct, I'll be the last living dinosaur. All right, we're going to keep that first line and leave the other part off. And I basically arranged what his verse was going to be out of it. And once he spit it again the way I told him to, that was the start of the record. And, you know, when everything else was, re, you know, knowing how to remix and make records for DJs that were popping. I recently told Q-Tip the other things that in, were in that record that were influenced by him. One is the snares popping like that. Yes. Patapped, patapped. A war yeah, tour. Yeah, the beginning, so a war tour. Ah, exactly. Ah, ah, so it was ah. the same drum break. They used it different for a war tour, but I knew how to let them snares pop because of a war tour. So I knew that that was a great way to start it. So, you know, DJ secret is I turn around and I whisper, your nappy heads, lace, what you got there? Lay some trees on this word. Mm-hmm. Boom. But then them snares pop in. So you put the, the trumpet mad low and then the snares pop louder and then the bass comes in heavier. The bass is boom. Right. Boop, 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 that's boop, 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 but twelve hundred style. Right. Switched it up, and then Chef. That now we got them set up. The snares pop. The bass drops hard, and Clef goes Shiba Shiba y'all. I'm a Libra y'all. The average DJ at that time is twenty five to forty years old. He's happy to play anything that says Shiba Shiba y'all. It takes him right. back. Right. Boom. Now he's getting lazy. He got to get some water. He lets the first verse play. Fuji's got a record that's playing and getting some BDS action. That was my science. Oh. <laughs> wow. That's and then you know so everything crazy. else was there. <clears throat> but that's yeah, what I yeah. knew how to do. I, so that's what I knew how to do, not by having friends who were DJs so they're going to play the record. No. It's because I was in the DJ booth and I was at the station with them. So right. I understood what was working for the audience the same way they did. It was almost like I would play this record, you know what I'm saying? In my set, you know what I'm saying? If I even if I didn't like you. And you know, I remember right. the week I was doing the flex was like boof bof. Taish keeps sending me this boof bof. What the badoof bof? You know, Flex is Jamaican, so badoof bof was coming, you know, words to yo, badoof bof, them fighting, you know, whatever was so right. he understood it. But he was like, Man, I can't stand that badoof bof record. Stop calling me about that. But then he's like, you know, I was like, Yeah, what you doing this week? I'm Fuji's good luck. Well, when people tell me good luck, I, that's normally good. And, you know, it ended up becoming their first hit, per se, in a small yeah. space. But really, it was about them having talent, their label believed in them, and I was able to help bring it forward. You right. know? And then after that, I did a remix of Vocab, which is a version. Yep. But then, in I reality, their version of Vocab that they did after mine that was similar to their original acoustic version of Vocab, you yeah. know, with a little bit of a beat underneath it. And they used some of the verses from what I did with them. But that actually became the hit. And then I ended up recording Fuji Law before they had a second budget. And it went. 
damn. And and we all know what happened after that. Like Jesus Christ. Exactly. exactly. That's so crazy to me, man. Like, so with, with that being said, with the with the Wyclef story, for me, all right, so I got a hip hop confession about Wyclef. This this Uh-oh. is and sometimes I don't even do these during the episodes. I kind of let the guests do it, but being it, it's so close to to mm-hmm. to the to the story. So I remember one of my first shows uh when I got signed. Big Beat Atlantic, uh, the Nod Factor came out. Uh, right. My home, my, my manager hit me at the time and said, yo, you got a show at University of Virginia, which is probably like about 50 miles, 55 miles from where, where I'm from, from Richmond. Mm-hmm. So, you know, UVA, you know what I'm saying? Ralph Sampson, all that, whatever. Like, that's all I know about UVA. So it's me, I'm opening. It's the Fugees and it's the Roots, right? Mm-hmm. So... I got my whole squad. I think they paid me like I think I got paid like four grand, which might as well have been forty thousand dollars in in nineteen ninety six. Right. Just to rap. So I'm taking the whole squad. They asked me like, you know, what you want on your rider? I was like, what's a rider? It was like, yo, what you want in your dressing room? I was like, oh shit, I want some KFC, some orange juice, you know, water, some towels, the whole shit. So I told my whole squad. It's like thirteen of us as I rode with the crew called the Super Friends. Mm-hmm. So I tell everybody, meet me at the meet me at my house at, at Three, because we got to drive down there, because I got to be down there for four, sound check at five, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody pull up, you know, cats outside my mom's house lighting up. We all got the music playing. We all about to get on the road. We get on the road, and my hype man wasn't there. So I'm like, yo, where he at? So my manager like, yo, bro, we already signed this contract. Like, we got to, if you don't do this sound check, they could not pay you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, yo, you got to be on the premises for soundcheck. We got to roll. So I was like, well, fuck it, man. Let's just roll. I, I, I didn't know if he got into a car accident. I didn't know what happened. I just knew he wasn't there. We go to the soundcheck, drive down there. You know, they got our parking. We go to our little dressing room. I do the soundcheck by myself, me and my DJ. And hype man still ain't there. The Fuji's about to get on, do they soundcheck. They running through their shit. Um, and I'm, it's dope. I'm watching how they're doing this though, because they got the drummer and the DJ. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, damn, they really got, they got, the Roots is a band, but the Fuji's got a DJ and a drummer. So you're going to hit, you're going to get the live element, but you also going to get what you love from the record. You still going right. to hear it. So right. I'm peeping game in the arena, like watching shit. So my man, my man comes to me like, yo, your man, my hype man is, is in the dressing room. So I'm like, Okay, bet. So I go. So I go in the dressing room and he's sitting there. He got his little homie with him. They came up together. So I'm like, yo, you good? So he, this nigga goes, yo, why the fuck you leave me, bro? I was like, well, what you mean why I leave you? Like, I had to leave. I had to be here at five. He was like, nah, man, you don't do no shit like that. Like, you just going to leave me? Like, what if I hadn't found my own ride? I said, bro, like, that's not my problem, bro. Like, like, yo, you realize if, if I don't get here, that I don't get paid and you don't get paid? Like, like, why, why, like, yo, why, who the, who you talking to? So it's like he taking a tone with me and it's, it's the other homies around and I, I gotta kind of put some seniority in it. So I'm like, bro, who, who the fuck you think you talking to, bro? So me and him start getting into it. You, you know what I'm saying? You gonna leave your homie to, so we arguing. We, we about to get into it. Why, Clef? Walks by the dressing room, hears us, walks in, 
And we, he said, yo, 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 what's going on? We don't know. Uh, we all, he don't know none of us, right? He don't know nobody. He goes, yo, what's going on? I said, yo, man, this, this motherfucker tripping, yo. So Wyclef's like, yo, what's the problem? And he, my hype man starts telling Wyclef the whole shit like he our therapist or he's some kind of hip hop cop or some shit. So he tells Wyclef his part of the story. I tell Wyclef my part of the story. Wyclef puts his hand on both of our shoulders and said, listen, y'all going to have to figure this shit out. Whatever the common good of what it is that y'all trying to, to accomplish, this ain't helping y'all at all. Like, you came here for a show. Your name on the flyer, Skills. There's people that came here to see you, man. Like, yo, like, whatever it is, before y'all get to that stage, y'all gonna have to figure this out. Be grown men and come and communicate better. Be respectful towards each other and realize that this your brother. You know what I'm saying? Y'all got a common goal, man. Like, it's like he took everything down in the room. Like, and we had to listen to him because, shit, he way more successful than us. You know what I'm saying? Like, but it was like, I never forget, he just he just took on the responsibility of de-escalating the situation with two cats that he didn't know just because he just saw it about to turn into something that it didn't need to. And I've always had a, a great level of respect for him because he ain't had to do that. He could have walked by the dressing room like, damn, them cats in there wilding and kept it moving. You know what I'm saying? Like, but the, he did. The preacher's son kicked in, basically, is what happened. Yes, yes. He the preacher's son. He knew he, how to look at the situation. Yeah, man. And and I never I never forgot that how he took, you know, took control of that room and just 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 was the cooler head and just just mm -hmm. made us see things in a different light early on. You know what I'm saying? Right. Early in my career. Like I said, this is this is pre- I think their single was out, but I don't think the score had dropped yet. Because, yeah, no, the score hadn't dropped yet because I dropped on the same day. We both came out on the same day. My album and the score came out on the same day. Um, wow. With all eyes on me. I, and I sold the least out of Tupac, the Fugees, and me. Like, I mean, you know. Rightfully so at that point. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was you know, a pecking order. Right. I'm yeah. I'm sitting, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in between two albums that did Diamond and More. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So exactly. I came out on a, a ill day. But that's yeah, that's probably one of my you know. So who was your manager moments. at that time? I had a manager named uh Derek Mangaru. He was out of uh Dap. Long Island. Yeah, Dap. Right. You know Dap? All right, so Dap's partner, G's my cousin. See, G's first cousins and my cousins that I came up with for cousins. So G's my cousin, technically through marriage, but we have a whole strong set of family that's cousins. Bigger part, UNVA, G's cousin Tone was kind of the uptown dude who was, you know, he had that bread. He was in the streets. He was Fritz, man. But mm -hmm. G, that's who Teddy's flat top and goatee was patterned after. Tone. Mm. G's cousin Tone, who's also my cousin Tone. So when I was a little kid, you know, my cousin Linda, their sister, be like, oh, you want some British walkers? Oh, my brother's got dozens of those. So they used to give me all the British walkers and Playboys they didn't want to wear no more because they were so fresh. Benzes and right. Audis and grocery stores that they, I would get shipments to go along my private school uniform. I had two-tone British walkers, everything else galore. But bottom line is G is my cousin via that. So whatever was going on with you, outside of being cool with Stretch and, you know, T-Ray and um, yeah. that Reef and the crew, yep. the Big B crew, I was seeing yeah. that angle because me and Craig go back. 
But I also would be like, Dad, well, we need to do this instead of third. So I will always hear Shaquan once every few weeks via G. Wow. Boom. So That's you didn't know what I was seeing you. So I'd be seeing you in Atlanta. I remember I ran into you at V103, I think, in different spots. I'd be looking like, oh, there goes Shaquan. All right, cool. But you had no idea that I was watching you from the other end of the room. I had no clue. And then, of course, sometimes I would talk to Lonnie as well, you know, when Lonnie was doing his thing at different levels. So I understand the super super friends connection. Right. that was it. That was also on top of it. I was just really saying, like, oh, Shaquan. Oh, there you go. What he got? Yeah, because that's all the, you know, Dap was running up and down the East Coast. Yo, I managed this kid named Shaquan, mad skills, da 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 da. So, yeah, Dap was my first manager. Yeah, and and G was his partner. Understood. So, so. Black Diamond Entertainment. There you go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and he was always somebody that was still to this day, he'd be bringing me records and artists and he'd be on my phone like, yo, I got something else. Like, I don't know where he'd be out. He'd be in the barrels of the streets, but he always popped up with some super talent. And, you know, I spoke to Case the other day and I remember the Happily Ever After record, he had a girl that he was shopping and I think her name was Rhonda and Chris Henderson had produced a song on her. Mm-hmm. And then that's how JoJo Brim got Happily Ever After. And then eventually got the case. Wow. Where is G now? He around. I think he's somewhere probably just below there. Might be in NC or somewhere. I mean, he might be in Virginia. No, because okay. we all got family roots in Virginia one way or another. You know, right. Between my grandfathers and their uncles and I think his, his people too. So we all somewhere up and down this eastern seaboard. Yeah, that's crazy, man. That's dope, man. Well, yo, I got I got just a couple more questions about a couple more records that you've done. That I, 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 I have you ever had a collab that you did that didn't see the light of day that you really wanted to see the light of day? Oh, um, shoot, it's a gang of that. You know, the thing is, is that what's happened in the last five years, I stopped really producing as much for you know. The label system, you know, when you're producing, it's it's a service job. So right. when you're doing a service job, like if I make a record for you and you don't feel like it's the record and your label don't feel like they want to pay for it, my time is wasted. My creativity might be bottled. I can't do nothing with it. You know what I'm saying? And when I got to a point where it's not about the money, I only got a certain amount of time. I'm tired mm-hmm. of wasting my time. So that's where you've seen a slew of records that are salam featuring. Galant, this one, that one, because I'll be like, well, if you don't want to do it, let me put it out and at least it generates something. Right. You know what I'm saying? So the best example of that is a come through and chill where I'm like, let's put it out today. You know what? Don't pay me for it. Just put it out. I don't even want no bread, but I wanted to see it see the light of day. And then it eventually goes on to get a Grammy nod and sell millions. That record was so hard. But it was basically a moment that was captured that I was like, if we love it, let's go right now. So I have, you know, a vault of those, you know what I'm saying? From Ari Linux to SZA, back to Nas, to Jasmine, to mm-hmm. this Fuji records in the vault. Like I have my vault of unreleased songs that I personally love is deep, but I never um, violate what the artist wants to do um, because it's their record. They got to walk with it. They got to carry it. I might bug them for years about it. And at some point they might let me put it out, but then there's so much politics. And then sometimes it's like, you know, just move on and create a new one. So you just you hit you you hit the button on come through and chill. I told Miguel, let's put it on SoundCloud tonight. So everybody was like, well, you don't want your money? And I'm like, nah, I want a bread, just put it out. Let's do it. Wow. So then we put it on SoundCloud. And then it was on SoundCloud and it did like a million real quick. But 
I was also trying to get Miguel out of not a writer's block, but maybe a overthinking his process. Right. So I was just like, let's, you know, let's do something. And even the vibe of the track, we were here working in Miami for the first time since all all I want is you. We had done our other recording in New York, LA. And he wasn't in the um mood, you know what I'm saying? Like we just wasn't coming up with nothing. I have like a three-story house that, you know, I have a studio in the basement, middle floor, and upstairs. So when we were upstairs, we wasn't getting it. So I was like, let's go down the basement. So even the drum pattern, I was like, here, take the guitar and we just do it for half an hour. And if nothing come up, you could leave. That's my gas. Right, right, so right, right. right. So I give him the guitar and I'm up there and I'm banging on the drums, excited. And I'm just, I'm putting all this effort into what I'm doing. And he's like, bling, 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 bling. He don't feel like it. So what you hear in that track is his melancholy, I want to get out of here. And then wow. my excitement on the drums. So then we get out of He's like, oh, we played for like a half an hour. He's like, man, there's something in there. But at one point you was hitting the stick like extra or something. So I'm like, go back, let's find it. So we listened to it. So I'm like, oh, loop that. So looped a couple bars of it. And then he was like, yo, why don't you take the guitar off the downbeat and move it to the two? And that was it. Boom. Clang, 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 clang. Because originally it was on the Woo! one. That you know, so, so originally it was like, clang, clang, clang. It was cool on the one. It was all right. But, but it, it he, found better on it to sound. It just fought better two, on the two. When he put the two on it, that was it. And I was like, yo, pass me the bass. Boom. <laughs> and now it became Woo! a two ball loop and it hit right. And then I was like, all right, there it go. So he looked at me and then I had a video where I remember I posted it online and vinyls was like, yo, what are y'all doing? And everybody felt it. So he was, I mean, I mean, he was just vibing. But basically what I did was while he was singing to it, I did my Instagram story real quick, but then I muted it so nobody could hear it. But he was like, right. and he was freestyling singing the same way how when we did All I Want Is You. He was like, dad, okay, you got a vibe, but what do I say? I was like, tell the truth. And I left. And I do that sometimes with artists. Like, you know, I'll give them just enough of a track, a glorified click track, something simple. But I'm like, tell the truth. And right. I left the room so he could talk his talk. And then when I came back in the morning, listen, we had uh, Netflix and chill. Just say you mm. will. The first verse, and he's like, you like that? And I was like, yep. It's crazy. I was like, because it's so still, but it's still moving, you know, and it sounds like right. that, that late night creep, you know, when you're in LA, right. it's that silent part of the Pull night up. where the whole world is asleep, where you could really get somebody to drive from Watts to the Valley. Right. Because like, it's, it's everything's quiet and they're going right. to get back to over the hill before traffic starts. Right. It's that energy. So that come through and chill, it hit a moment. And then I was like, you know what? Let's take that Netflix out though. And it became the come through and, you yeah. Know, it was important to do that. But to me, it was an example. It was a prime example of what I'm trying to create, which is moments that aren't necessarily about being commercially upfront. Like I've been blessed to have the balance of art and mm -hmm. commerce in my career, mm -hmm. where my biggest commercial successes have also been total art pieces, the score, Back to Black, you know what I'm saying? Whatever else, you know, Bust Your Windows and Lions Tigers being orchestrated rather than having, you know, hip hop drums on it. The lyrics with the hip hop in it, you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, my approach has really been able to get stuff that I felt like I was missing in music and doing things that I felt like, you know, they 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 inspired me. And what I, what I feel inspired, and it's a conversation, and you know, I like those, why don't you come by records, how many drinks, all I want is you, you know, all those. Bro, those things. are two of my favorite records, man. Come through and chill, and and uh, 
the um how many drinks like yeah, I still play I I still play how many drinks at, mm-hmm. at the end of like parties on the let out you know what I'm saying like Basically. like I play that record and and just look at the room you know what I'm saying to see mm-hmm. you know what I mean like, <laughs> how's this going you know what I mean and, and it's almost like it it, it was it, it it's a it's almost a, a a message within a message you know what I'm saying when when, when you when a DJ plays that song Lonnie will play it. A lot, and I got mm-hmm. that. I got that vibe from line. Like, oh, this this definitely the end of the night joint. Like, on some, you know what I mean. And then we might go into one more chance, or you know what I'm saying, something like that. But it, it's mm-hmm. a perfect record for that vibe. That one thirty, one twenty, like almost. It ain't over yet, but it's about to be. Right. Like, what's popping after this? You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and it's to that me, kind of record. That's the job of the R and B male singer. You know, it's not just begging when you all the way down on one knee, but it's also to encourage and have the song say what you should be saying. It's giving you game. If you was a cornball, if you had the dope playlist, the playlist says everything you want to do. Right. And I, and I remember being a kid and this girl asked me to make a cassette. So she's like, this is the songs that I want. You know, I was like maybe 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that. And I realized later that her older sisters were asking her to get this me to make a cassette. But it was like, ribbon in the sky for our love. Over mm-hmm. like a fat kid. I mean, I fought over like a fat rat. I mean, just all these songs. Right, and I right. was like, well, I'm reading into the lyrics. But I realized that, you know, that's really it. And a big part of my career has been like, you know, the early part was learning how to control the tracks and the beats and the mixes and everything else. But then it was like, focus on lyrics. And the right. more I focused on lyrics, the better the songs became. And the same beat could have, you know, reggae. There's 10 different people on the beat, but the best song is the one that you hear when that beat comes on, the one that makes mm-hmm. the best impact. So it just came down to like focus on the lyrics, and that's where I'm at. I like to have songs where the lyrics actually appeal to me because I hopefully they appeal to someone else with my sense of humor. Man, I, I like the way you think, man. Like, <laughs> why the fuck we ain't made, why we never made a record together? Like, I it like the way happened. you think. It's just it's just conversations that make the records, and for me, you know, sometimes it happens when everybody's in the live room, but I'm not that guy. Like I don't really like people around. Period. You know, right? <laughs> but, but when I'm creating, <laughs> just in general, it's kind of like an insular thing. Like you know, me and most of the artists that you see me make a lot of stuff with, it's random. It's seldom that there'd be a lot of people around. Maybe until when we finish in a record, right? But you know, me and Nas connecting, or me and Amy, or whatever it is, like you know, I got that Virgo rising like them. So and then their Virgos, or we just sit in the back and just watch, and we whispering like, "Yo, it'd be dope if this happened." Yeah, that'd be right. crazy, right? And the next thing you know, we both looking, and it's like it's happening because we found that quiet space to really get a thought out that maybe the crowd wasn't doing it. And to me, right. you know, the best DJ isn't the one that plays what you wanted to hear. The best DJ is the one who plays what you didn't know mm-hmm. you wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. how Biz would kill him for years. You know, Biz yep. would wait till it's peak time and then you played everything that's a hit, then he going to throw on Jackson 5 or Marvin Gaye or something yep. and had the room go all the way left and then come back with, I want to sex you up and then hit you yep. with the song of the week right in the middle, even though it played already, but it's still going to flow. And right. that was the whole idea. You know, as long as you, I think like a DJ, like in that mode. That's you know dope, man. Speak, speaking of Nas, you know, as a fan, you know what I mean? We, we have always had, you know, the conversations of everybody was like, 
you know, Nas, Nas beat selection, man. You know, Nas, this beat selection, this beat selection. I've always felt like you give him the best shit that he's ever had in his life. And that is from knowing who has produced for him. But when mm-hmm. you and him connect, it's always stellar. And I don't know what it is that you bring out of him. If he picked it or if you already say, yo, yo, I made this for you. Yo, what you think about this? Or or you just scrolling through joints and Nas goes, stop. Nah, number four, that's, that's crazy. But like from made you look to like Cherry Wine, like, my one of my favorite records that you ever did outside of Made You Look for Nas is Nasty. Like, mm-hmm. I remember hearing Nasty, and when it came on, I knew exactly where that sample was from. The when I heard Cap's voice, mm-hmm. Queensbridge, y'all ready for Nas? Y'all ready for Nas? And that shit dropped that bang, and the bot like the, the pickup behind it. In my mind, as soon as I heard it, I was like, that's a long. Like, so I freestyled over that beat for months. I that was the first time I remember distinctively remember going, Oh, it ain't no instrumental. Okay, well, telling the engineer, like, yo, how you decrease all of the vocals so I could get that beat? I just want that beat. And mm-hmm. then um, I remember seeing the video and he was just walking around the hood and shit, and I was just like, Damn this nigga, damn this nigga Salam always gave him the best shit. Like it made him sound fresh and new. And that's what man, that record, bro. I love that. I love that shit. How did that happen? I mean, so first of all, I'm gonna just go back to the broader stroke with Nas, right? Just because the context of it is where we all come from. You know, in the early 90s, and you know, back to I went to grade school with Akinelli. So by the time Akka's coming around and rhyming in, you know, 90, 91, I'm like, yo, what up? But, you know, Akinelli comes to me and says, I'm calling my album Vagina Dina. Why? Because I'm a cunning linguist. Remember Mr. Forge's sex class? Like, I had a reference with Nas at that point. So the guy he got on his first record with, that was from Left Rack? Cool. I went to school with him. I went to school. I'm from Northside, you know. Tropical Crest, Springfield, Lind, and all that. But right. I went to junior high school on their side of town, more or less being on that side. So me, E-Money, Bags, Akinelli, all that. So we have references that's there. And then when I went to high school, cats that, you know, Bar Kim and different people that grew up in Nas's building was there. So we already had a cross-reference of liking the same stuff without mm-hmm. actually knowing each other. But we had some of that going on. And then when, you know... Live at the barbecue, stellar verse. Like just yes. that verse, like who is this and what did he just do? I don't know who right. this is, but it's a stellar performance. And then when you look at, you know, what Elmatic means to all of us, halftime great, but Elmatic for me was just like like yeah, looking at your box. Top tier hip hop. My box eats tapes. And I'm looking at the speaker like, how does he know my box eats tapes? Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like just the whole aspect <laughs> of it. And and what he meant to all of the creators on that album, what all the creators on that album meant to all of us. So being a child of the 80s who taped hip hop off the radio, that is my first reference. You know, when I was going to school, I made a tape 
and I had to pause it, and I needed what Red Alert was going to play the new Jungle Brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, Marley Marl was going to have Kane freestyling over Soul Man. You know, everything meant something and where it went to. Right. You know, the Chuck Chillout was going to have that Dismasters, Small Time Hustler. All these records meant something to my upbringing, but this is how I got to school in the cold. I had this tape going on, that Craig Mack, zoom, 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 mm -hmm. Like all this stuff in, in, in a warm enough coat, it was my fuel. Right. <clears throat> all that to say, by the time I, you know, I did a remix for Nas with um, G-Rap for the, I call it the Northside Mix, as my label was and where I'm from. But mm -hmm. the G-Rap and Nas Fast Life remix that's online different places. That was my first chance to get to work with a Nas vocal when he was actually Nas. Right. So it was important for me to be like, yeah, I did something that felt good. He supposedly liked it, whatever it was. And then when we got together, I ran into him in LA. And so we knew of each other, but we just didn't never really connect. He see me be like, yo, what up? So long, right? All right, cool. You know, get a drop for Dirty Harry tape. But we just didn't connect. He'd always hear my name because Lost Professor would talk about this, that, the third. Mm -hmm. Akinelli knew me, but this is 10 years going. By the time we really connect in 2001, he's been out since 91. Wow. And he's been through all these different phases. Us as beatheads, by the time he got to It Was Written, the beatheads was like, nah, we need that dusty shit from Illmatic. So his critiquing of his beats... All people always took it in, but he's like, oh, the fanagers, they want me to do what they said. Okay, right. cool, but I'm going to do what I did. And that's why he's still around, because he could do what he wants to do. Right. But now when you know I do what goes around, I run into him in LA, he's like, yo, you got a CD for me or anything? Boom. He had a verse on Fatty Girl, that's what it was. And when he had that verse on Fatty Girl, I was doing a record for Beanie Man, FUBU Records, the only label never to pay me my back end. I'm going to catch y'all. Anyhow, <laughs> when, when we get past that, I give him a CD. He's out in LA hanging out. Then he texts me on a two-way. Yo, I need something that's like gangster, but like the skies, like some crazy descriptive thing on a two-way. I was like, I got you. Send me an address. I made the What's Going On Poison track specifically for him based upon what he said to me. So I'm playing the organs. I got the right. drums popping. I'm playing the guitars. And then I send it to him. He's like, yo, nobody's giving me a track, anything like this. This piece of music was what I said, which how did you make it come out of the speaker? But I understood understood what he understood. Right. Because we suffer, we from the same place. Yo, right. you going to Roscoe's? Yo, give me chicken wings, mac and cheese, <laughs> yams. Like, we on the same thing. He probably right. going to hit some greens. It's going to be what it is. If we talk about um, Notorious Big's second album, what song? Oh, story to tell. We clear. How did you feel when uh, Hypnotize came out? I was cool, but... Story to tell, boom. How'd mm -hmm. you feel when Rebel Without a Pause came out? We picked the Mind same boom. songs. Right. So at the end of the day, our tastes are similar in certain ways. Of course, he knows a lot more rap lyrics because he's paying attention to stuff that I wasn't at particular right. times, but we have a similar taste model. So, you know, and then when I work with him, my mom had passed, and then when it's God sometime, his mom had passed, and so now we're working together. So our chemistry was all of that. And, you know, there's so many different angles on the Godson period. Everybody else hears Godson, and this is a moment of hip hop, but, you know, this is Apache and Impeach the President. This is Beef with Radio getting squashed. Not just Beef with Radio, with Flex and Angie Martinez, two mm. people who have pictures of me on their mantles in their crib, and I'm producing him. This is the Murder mm. Inc. Uh, Irv produces uh, right. Super Ugly, shows up, this and that. I'm being Stella, cool queens. 
I'm watching all the players in the room and I know what's going on hood-wise, music-wise, business-wise. And then I'm just like, yeah, but this Apache right here, they can't get around this. Oh, yeah, radio don't want to play nothing? Well, Nas for the kids. We're going to do I Know I Can, Be What I Want to Be, on Impeach the President. Yeah, who want to not play this? You know what right, I'm saying? And then, right. also, and then on down to definitely going to Flex and being like, yo, this got to squash. So like I said, all this stuff led up to the music having to be there. You know, even with a point when... And I'm digress a little bit, but not really. The point when 50 and Ross were going at it. Mm-hmm. I was like, how is he going to get out of this? 50's making websites. He got cartoonists going. Right. Like, he's relentless. He got the bread and the tenacity and to the lack do, of- To overdo f- it. Violated. Violated Khaled's space, his people's space. Violated baby moms. How? How did Ross get out of that? That music. Thanks. Them Lex Luger beats and what Ross was putting on them, that music stays so steady that you could say whatever you want to say, but that music going to hit you right in the chest. That shit was and a even, bop. And you couldn't move past it because the music was solid. Well, right. in that mindset, not this is prior to that, but I've always felt the same way. You could say what you want to say, but if that music don't hit you without you reading the label or knowing who it came from and this is because of that, it's a different space. Mm-hmm. So now back to Nasty. You know, after we worked together first on, you know, 2001 with what goes around, now we're in 2011. We're now in a different space. Now he's 20 years after his start in the career. Right. Um, what are we going to do? So he decides he's going to name his album Life is Good. And I'm like, Life is Good. Interesting. All right, cool. But then I realized why he did it. He named his album Life is Good because he wanted people to say life is good, maybe when they didn't really even feel like it. Right. Saying those words, it's a mantra. Life is good. Life Manifesting is good. it. You know what I'm saying? And that, and that was the whole thing because, you know, you've been through some things, but at the end of the day, life is good. Life is even better now because you said life is good. You know what I'm saying? So it's keeping getting to that space. And with Nasty, you know, I was going through my space making tracks um, and coming up with stuff. And, you know, there's different people that don't like the beats out different Nas. They felt like blah, 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 blah. You know, right. you said what you said just now, but then there's people who have the opposite opinion. Right. I could really care less because I was really always um, there around him. He walking and saying, yo, I was listening to Miles Davis, Bitches Boo, what you think? And I'm like, all right, got you. And I'm cooking and I create something that's musical that fits that. Oh, I heard Bessie Smith yesterday. I was reading a book and I saw this. Got you. Do it. Whatever. I want to wrap a book today. A word. He walks in. He touches my SP. He makes the book song. And I just mixed it. You know what I'm saying? But Or he says, yo, I want to hear... Um, you know, I was listening to Ice T and I heard a ding, 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 ding. Then that becomes Get Down because he has inspiration. He's a musician. He knows if he heard a sample flip three times this way or three times that way, it's going to be there. Right. So the same thing happened. And when Nasty came up, you know, I would always be like, yo, just keep spitting. That doesn't that. He's like, y'all, you just want me to rhyme hard again. Like, I can do that. But he always is looking for different ways to utilize his voice and keep going in different ways. And, you know... Dang, does everybody really want to hear me rhyming like a devil, devil, the devil, the devil, the devil, Like he could do that, but he he got off the cannabis right. way before cannabis came out. You right. know what I'm saying? So that was really what it was. I he had one of those records, and then what he was saying was so crazy. But after a while, you know, Nas would record a song and had to put it down for eight months to a year, and then turn around and look at it and be like, it do sound all right, right? And then somebody else gonna be like, yo, that's crazy. He'd be like, word. Yeah, it still stands up because if it don't last and sound good a year then or two later, make it. Yeah, then it, it was never gonna it, it was never gonna to be this. that classic. 
And right. with that song, you know, I was mixing it hip hop and no ID were at my house. Um, and I was like, yo, what I'm gonna do? And I was like, I'm gonna sample some stuff off of tapes. And I was playing the tapes and no ID actually had said to me, yo, why are you saving it? You might as well put it on the record. So then that's when we were both working on that album. So I was like, yeah, you're right. We should be using samples off of tapes that never actually were records because right. it was going to be there. So that's what made me put Big Cap's voice on it because I had other stuff off of that party that I wanted to sample and make into records. And, you know, hip hop was sitting there like, all right, cool. And then, you know, they were leaving my crib and then going up to New York to the Washer Throne. Ye said to me and to, you know, he spoke about, you know, him doing different stuff, but he said to me and to Nas separately that Nasty actually influenced Otis. Bam, yeah, soundbar, right. He yep. was a different type of sample, but it happened right after we put out Nasty. But yeah. to me, it was always about doing it. And then on the flip side, you got somebody like an A-track who goes online and is like, oh, Nas, well, I'm on the break beat, really, this and that. But I'm like, you make duck sauce, and it's not even real Chinese food. So I don't understand who you are. So everybody has an opinion until they get, oh, what's that, Mike Tyson? Anyway. Everybody so. everybody got something to say. Everybody got an opinion until they get punched in the face. But you're never going to see me. I live in the metaverse, so it doesn't make a difference. But the reality is, when we come down to it, it's like, it's like everybody has an opinion. Now, my validation, besides you saying you love Nasty, because a lot of times we make records, people are like, yo, we, our Thief's theme was my shit. And I'm like, where were you when we made it? Because when right. we put Thief's theme out, it was silence. Crickets. We was looking around, we was like, Crickets. yo, nobody's saying nothing, but they almost didn't know how to take it, I right. realized. It was just like, yo, that's just too hard. What they about to do, he doing push-ups with the gold fronts in his mouth. You know, that's like Mel right. Mel battling Mikey D and doing right. push-ups while Mikey D's rhyming and then walking away with both with his belt. Like, that was that moment for me. It was like, oh, right. something else happened. So the other validation for Nasty for me was that Heavy D called me July 4th, 2011. He calls me and says, yo, um, you know, we need, we need to talk, but I got to ask you a question. How do you get the records to still sound so fresh and young like that time? And, you know, I was blessed to come up, like I said, you know, and mentioned as producers, but when Molly Marley produced records on Craig G's album using my beats, my eyeballs on him and watching what he did to take my bedroom beats to make them into Molly Marl productions mm -hmm. never left me, not a day right. in my life. So right. I knew how to keep exciting the mix till I'm getting the energy off the record that I want to get and then making sure that vocals sit there and even down to the one bar break. Bang, just skate key, tunnel, what we say? From the tunnel escape, keep my jury in HD break. Like this back Ooh. into it. So just the energy of it, Heavy D was like, yo, it sounds so fresh. I try to do stuff like that, but I can't make it sound like the 80s. So then Nas calls. He said, so Heavy D says when I same convo, yo, I got this record. If you can figure out how to flip this, because you be know how to flip records. And he gives me Dance in New York by Super Cat, which I work with Cat. I didn't right. necessarily know that record like that. So he right. emails it to me. So then Nas calls me later on that day. You know, July 4th. It's a holiday. But I'm in the crib dolo. I probably made a burger. And I'm getting a call from Heavy D. So I'm like, yo, the Bung Diddly D called me, son. He's like, the Bung Diddly D? Because, you know, we both fans of the 80s. So right, that's right, really right. important for anybody that we looked up to that Big made facts. records that we love. You know, overweight lovers in the house. You know, we knew their Listen. rhymes before we could come outside. Girls, properly. they love me. Listen. 
they have songs out before we can come outside without asking our moms. Facts. First. You know Facts. what I'm saying? So when it came down to it, I was like, you're the bung diddly D call. And he's like, yo, he loved Nasty and this and that. And he's like, what's that playing in the background? That's Supercat? I was like, yeah. He's like, yo, why selling Supercat said my name in there? And I'm like, yeah, right? I know what the hell he was talking wow. about. So he's, he's like, yeah, heavy asked me to flip this for him. So now when I go and start messing with the record, I end up chopping up what ends up becoming Nazadon, Nazadon. I didn't even know how I heard that. I didn't know how Nas heard that over the phone, whatever. This all happens July 4th, 2011. Amy Winehouse passes July 23rd. Later on in the year, while I'm finishing the Amy Winehouse album, Heavy D's like, yo, I'm coming to London. Can you hook me up with some people? I'll send them a bunch of people to me. He passes. In the interim, around September that year, I, was, I had a little writing room in L.A., and I was up in the writing room and I start messing with the sample and I chopped it up. And it was just like, you know, New York girls, Zimamad over me, Nazadan, Nazadan. I call down the yard. I get somebody to go link up with Ja Thomas, Snow Cone, and my, my man Bambino. I get the multi track for the song or a track. Mm. They send me that. I get Supercast vocals separately. I put it together and I'm like, yo, Hev, I did it, but it sounds like it's saying Nazadan. So Hev is like, yo, if it were good for Nas, that's even perfect because I called you about the nasty record. Right. I gave you a sample. You ended up flipping it and it worked for Nas and you making it sound fresh just like I said you would. So that was the blessing. That, so that's you know, how it ended up saying produced by, Nas. you know what I'm saying? Heavy D. Yeah. And then the interns came in at some point and they did a mix and added some you know, keys at the ends and some 808s and stuff. But at right. the end of the day, the record was kind of created. And the friendly part is I had the beat and I was like, what are we going to do with this beat? So I had my DJ app on my iPad. So during the day of the nasty video shoot, we're riding around Queens. My little brother had picked me up and we riding. I got my iPad plugged into his system. The windows are down and we have Nas's barber, Marcus, in the back seat. You know, he's got, like I said, he got an, uh, some type of horror show on TV or something that he be doing. But anyhow, we sitting there. And I have the beat playing, and I'm like, Dag, what I'm going to do with this beat? So I had the acapella of the first verse from an old song we did. Once again, Nas's vaults is deep. You know, we got stuff. Right. And I blended the first verse on top of the beat in the car during the nasty video shoot. So wow. I'm like, yo, son, I think I figured out what to do with this beat. He's like, what? And I play it. And he's like, ooh. All right, cool. We start wow. there and I go from there. And that's really how the record kept going. And, you know, that day was legendary. We in the hood. Tommy Montana's out being in the video. We in all types of random spaces. He walking down the street. And, you know, things happen organically. But more than anything else, our chemistry comes from us both being, you know, sons of musicians. A lot of the musicians who, mm -hmm. you know, Bruce Perth, Vincent Henry Gods, or who were in his dad's band, actually were musicians that worked with my dad and still the musicians I use on records to this day and played on Nazareth Savage and Bridging the Gap and most of the songs, you know, they right. were the same musicians that were in both of our father's bands. So we just have a similar upbringing. We knew the same people, remember the same hustler's name, remember when such and such got the gold link. Like we have the same memories and then, you know, our friendship and the fact that we see things in a similar way has maintained during this time because it's not about music. And I intentionally haven't had any records on this album in 10 years. And Godson is coming up to the 20th anniversary next year. So that's what that is. But right. I, I did Life is Good and then, you know, even Lost Tapes. I helped pull things around. My favorite Nas record is a song called You Mean the World to Me.
That's mm. on the lost tapes that Kanye did probably during the same time when Kanye had three or four records on Hip Hop Is Dead. But right. for me, you know, some people rap, it's like, you know, I think the game raps really well. And I think Nicki Minaj rap really well. They are very clear and they, you know, always deliver and their beats be right. But their conversation is not necessarily my conversation. You know right. what I'm saying? And I think, you know, even though Jay-Z is Jay-Z and he's slick as who knew and he always has stuff, a certain point, the conversation of his lyrics weren't what I was living. So I wasn't hearing it the same way. And I appreciate the fact that he can always spit and get out his feelings. But then when he gets to a certain space, I'm like, yeah, this is for me. This isn't for me. And I think that that's really where Nas and I connect, that a lot of the things that are, he's talking about in his songs, we share a common perspective on, you know, lyrically as well as musically. That's dope, man. That's dope. Um, so one question before I get out of here, because um, mm-hmm. you've worked with a lot of greats, and I've I, I asked this of a lot of people that I you know that that I interview. Right. Uh, what's your dream? You know your dream team. You know musician ensemble. Like if you had a band, who would be on what? Dead or alive, you could pick whoever you want to. Who would be in that band? Hmm. Ooh, that's funny. So you you know what's weird? It's like, as a producer, I always, you know, Molly Mall for me invented the one-man hip-hop band producer singular unit. You know what I'm saying? Me and my drum machine and this beat, this is hip-hop. This is my whole crew. Me and this drum machine produced this hip-hop for this group. This whole crew, you know, prior yeah. to a Wu-Tang, there was a Molly Maul producing an entire Juice Crew. Juice Crew, being facts. A, and being ahead. And inventing, you know, like I said, so many things came from Molly, from his engineering skills to his DJ skills to him being a right. producer. So when it comes down to being a musician, I've always tried to replay samples, meaning that I got my bass style from Marvin Osley and then a Jamaican bass player named Fully Forward who played on all the Dennis Brown records and a bunch of mm-hmm. stuff that he's probably not even credited on, but he just has a style. So I'm going to go Marvin Osley, just because we know what that Osley brother bass feel like in the dark. It's so fat, it's yes. warm, it's like a more, it's a certain thing. On yeah. drums, you know, I have different pockets that I might play, but then, you know, I love that Jabo Starks. You know, it was Clive Stubblefield who definitely had one flavor with James Brown, but mm-hmm. Jabo also played with Bobby Boo Bland. So it was a certain level of bop underneath there that's that toilet stool rap that kind of gets you a whole nother little thing to it so i'm gonna mm-hmm. go marvin osley and jabo um, wow on keys it's kind of crazy but then you know it's that stevie but then it's also that greg filling gains because he was a keyboard Ooh. player that Ooh. stevie employed to play the other Stevie parts while Stevie was playing his other Stevie parts. Right, right. So if he was in Stevie's band playing keys, he got to be able to keep with that. And we up with Stevie, know, yeah. And we witnessed that on the I Can't Help It, you know what I'm saying, on the Michael Jackson, him replaying what Stevie played into Quincy level. So mm-hmm. I would say Greg Filling Gaines, Jabbo Stalks, that guitarist, I'm going to put that West Montgomery, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Because it's just speaking it on the smooth Understood. level. Understood. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm gonna put a arranger in there. I'm gonna put Monk Higgins, who's a producer Ooh. and arranger, because Monk Higgins had what I loved as far as um, Questlove describes it of you know I'll do a groove that's bass heavy and fat, 
but also at the same time, it has some type of filet mignon of a loop, something of music that catches your ear, but then mm-hmm. the groove is hitting you right. That's my Mark Higgins. You know, when you listen to the Gangstar sample, boom, 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 boom. Mark Higgins always had this beautiful melody happening, but also at the same time, he had that beat rocking. And right. that's also what I love about Marvin Gaye, making Marvin Gaye my favorite artist, because he has the bass and the drums of a Let's Get It On, of a What's Going On, of the whole I Want You album. But then his vocal stylings, the space that he's introduced to that vocal stylings, the intensity that you're getting from those chords, the beauty of it, it's a pretty face and a fat ass. Like, what else could I say? It's fried chicken and yams and mac and cheese. And, and mac and cheese. It's all three. So I got the, the holy trinity, you know what I'm saying? Right. I got the chicken, I got the yams, I got the mac and cheese. Like, it's just, you know, it's Can't brown. Can't go wrong. What I'm going to do, there's nothing else I could do. Wash it down with a bev, we going to sleep. This is a perfect right. night. So to me, that's the musical expression of what I always want to hear. You know, if I'm going to do some background, I'm going to put Marvin on backgrounds. I put Ronnie Osley on lead. And then, you know, I'm leaning back. I have all the beauty in the world on the sonic top end. But at the same time, I have the groove that's just locked into a pocket. Right. Hey man, hey! I don't think anybody would would argue with that with that band. That that yeah, you definitely um, that's that's a stellar. It ain't nothing that band can't do. And that's where I'm trying to be. Ultimately, I'm just trying to experience that in, in the best way possible. I get it, man. Well, listen, thank you, brother. I'm gonna let you go back to the metaverse because I there know that's goes. where you at now. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. you pulling up, man. Uh, this was enlightening and, and very informative. Like I said, I've been wanting to do this with you for a while and just pick your brain. I know we we follow each other on social media and mm-hmm. you know send send files back and forth and things of that nature, but never really had an opportunity to just sit down and pick your brain, man. So I just want to say thank you, man, for taking the time out. So I think good. people are going to really enjoy this, bro. And we got to do a record together, man. Even if it don't never come out, I just like how your brain works. Now I'm going to find what I'm something. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to find a space to do something. And for me, you know, at this point, it's all about whatever the inspiration brings. If the inspiration brings something great, then it's there. We feel good about it. Then, all right, cool. Let it hit the metaverse and then the universe and let it be where it lives. <laughs> Bet. That's what it is, man. Listen, one time for the bro Salam Remy, man. Y'all make sure y'all follow him. What's your, what's your social, brother? So make sure they get yeah. it right. It's my name everywhere you can catch it. At Salam Remy, S-A-L-A-A-M-R-E-M-I. And this is Mad Skills, man. You already know what it is, man. I appreciate y'all tuning in. This has been Hip Hop Confessions. Cause everybody got one. There you Peace. Go. Here's a little story that must be told. And it goes a little something like this. this, this, this.